Uh, I might just pray as well, actually. That's all right. You can't pray too much. Um, let's pray. Father, just want to just echo that prayer, Father, and ask that your Holy Spirit would use all what, what's said now, Father, for your glory uh, and, and no one else's, that your kingdom would be built, and that, Lord, you would take these words and change them and use them, and may they be understood differently if necessary. But, Lord, for your kingdom, for your glory, um, for the building of your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know it's the 8th of January, and that half of you, well, most of you, don't make New Year resolutions. Uh, I made that very clear last week. Um, and those of you that do have probably already broken them. Um, but I discovered, I came across a few uh, tweets this week. Uh, I'm fully down with the kids, as you're well aware. And um, I found a few, a few tweets that, um, that just show how cynical the world is becoming about New Year's resolutions. And uh, I just thought I'd put them up. Well, David would put them up. Um, and uh, maybe you can identify with them. This is uh, January, New Year, New, New, Year, New Me. Uh, by March, it's just uh, pizza, 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 and pizza. Uh, perhaps you can identify with that. Um, I'd love to say New Year, New Me, but I'm only two stamps away from a free meal with my KFC loyalty card, and it would be silly to ruin that now. Amen to that. Um, not really a New Year's resolution person. I'm more a get-really-motivated-to-change-my-whole-life-at-3am-on-a-Tuesday person. That's the sort of guy I am. And then uh, my resolution for 2017 is to work on my low self-esteem, but I don't think I can do it. <laughs> and uh, my New Year's resolution is that donuts have no calories. I think that's more on resolve to think that. Um, there we are. And the uh, New Year's resolution is to simply remember to write 2017 in 2000, instead of 2016. I think that's it. There we are. Uh, how many of you have done that so far, written 2016? Every time I write a check, not that I write that many, but when I do, uh, you could have cashed them last year. But there we are. Um, so we start a new series um, just for three weeks, um, called, entitled On the King's Secret Service. Uh, I'm very proud of the uh, picture that goes with this. Uh, I made it myself. Um, that's not the picture I made, by the way. <laughs> it took me ages. Oh, I'm very proud of that. I even downloaded the GoldenEye font, especially. Um, so my computer is probably full of viruses now. Um, but there we are. So our series is titled On the King's Secret Service. And, uh, and what we're doing, and the reason it's called that, is that we're looking at three areas that Jesus taught about in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got Matthew chapter 6 open, that would be really handy. Uh, we're looking at verses 5 to 15 particularly this morning. But what we have in these, this particular part of Matthew 6 are three spiritual habits that Jesus calls his followers to do but to do in secret, uh, to do just between us and God. These are three spiritual habits that are required by God for us, for our growth, but are also vital actions for the growth of God's kingdom. And these three spiritual habits are giving to the needy, fasting, and today, prayer. Uh, and it's really important to note that when Jesus introduces these three things in Matthew chapter 6, it's very clear that these are not optional extras to the Christian life. In verses 2, 5, and 16, Jesus begins with the phrase, when you. It's not if you fast or if you give to the needy, but when you give to the needy, when you fast, when you pray. The saviour of the world, our king, who we all profess to follow, uh, hopefully, uh, he assumes that his followers, his children, will give to those that are in need, will pray, and will fast. It's as simple as that. So let's read um, those verses again, without the acting this time, unfortunately. I thought they did quite well. Bless them. So um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 15, uh, what Jesus says about prayer, which we're looking at this morning. It says, When you pray, 
Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also, uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If you hear nothing else this morning, maybe that's a verse for some of us to take away and ponder. You're holding on to unforgiveness that's becoming unforgiveness for you personally. So uh, verse 5, as I just said, Jesus starts this section is when you pray. He doesn't start if you pray or when you get a moment or if you fancy praying. It's when you pray. Uh, I read a quote this week from somebody about prayer and he said this. You may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as you will a living Christian that does not pray. You will as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. I wonder how many dead Christians there are in the world who look like Christians, sound like Christians, behave like Christians, but are in fact dead because they never pray fast or give to the needy. John Bunyan, that very well-known Christian, said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. I'll say it again. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. So Jesus, in these three spiritual habits that we're looking at these next three weeks on the king's secret service, um, what he's doing in these three areas is actually attacking a particular culture, a particular religious culture that's grown up um, in Israel amongst God's people. What you've got to realize is that Jesus didn't live in a secular culture like we do. We live in a a secular, ungodly culture that isn't interested particularly in religion. It wants it to kind of go over there and be nice and play nice and follow it. But Jesus' culture was religious. The celebrities of Jesus' day weren't the uh, the ones that go into the Big Brother house that we're forced to uh, look at and listen to day after day in this culture. Uh, The celebrities of his day were the religious elite. The people at the top of the social ladder were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. These were the men who had the power. These were the men who had the social standing. When a Pharisee walked in, people felt immediately slightly inadequate, slightly insecure. These were the ones that God liked. These were God's favorites. These were at the top of the tree. But they had helped create a culture that actually robbed people of their spiritual liberty. God wants you and me to be liberated spiritually. If church oppresses somebody, you need to rethink whether that's the right place to attend. If your understanding of Christianity is crushing you, then you've misunderstood it. We are liberated. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, the Bible says in Corinthians. But they created a culture that was oppressing people. 
Uh, and that culture simply was religious vanity. Sounds strange, isn't it? We're very vain in the 21st century, aren't we? If you're not, if you're not a man with a rippling, whatever that's supposed to be, and uh, muscles all over the place and shiny skin and all sorts of things and white teeth, then you're not considered particularly good looking, which is bonkers because no one looks like that, do they, really? Um, but in Jesus' time, the vanity was about how religious you were, not necessarily about how buff you were or how fit you might be, but actually how religious you came across. The more religious sounding, the more people thought you were wonderful. That's how it seemed to work. They created a culture of look at me religion or aren't I holier than thou piety. That's how these, uh, some of these religious elite behaved. And if you've ever felt at any point in your Christian walk, I can't pray out loud because my prayer isn't as good as that person's prayer. It's not good enough. Then it shows that that culture still is going strong 2,000 years later. Verses 5 and 7, Jesus says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth, they are t- truly I tell you, sorry, they have received their reward in full. And then he says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. See, when these people prayed, who Jesus is attacking, they weren't praying for God's glory. They weren't praying for God's kingdom to come. They were praying for their reputation. They were praying for their social standing to be lifted. They wanted people to say, doesn't he pray well? Isn't he godly? Isn't he really religious? I want to be just like him. Their prayers were full of vain glory and vain repetition and Jesus is not impressed and what we miss about Jesus so often is that he was tough he did not pull his punches at any point in his entire ministry he was gentle with those who were oppressed and attacked and who felt guilty for their sin for those who are hypocrites he went for and he attacked them and he was direct with them and actually he pulls no punches whatsoever he says in verse 5 calls them hypocrites In verse 8, he says, don't be like them, don't copy them. He calls them babblers. His message is clear. When you stand in the synagogues to be seen by others, God isn't listening to your prayer. God is not interested in those that pray like that. In verse 7, he goes even tougher. He says, don't be like them. Do not keep on babbling like pagans. If you were a first century Jew, that would have been the most insulting thing you could have heard. Don't accuse me of acting like a pagan, a non-Jew. But Jesus' message is surely, when you pray to show off, you are no different to someone who follows a false, empty religion, or a charlatan, or a pagan. Jesus says that these people that pray like that have their reward in full. What's really interesting uh, about the Greek language, the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, of course, and in the New, in New Testament Greek, um, whereas in English we have one word for everything, don't we? Like the word love. I can say, you know, I love Andrea, I really love the kids, you know, I love world peace. But I use the same word to say, you know, I love it when I get that bit of cheese out from between my teeth. It doesn't seem right, does it, to use the word love in that different context? Or, you know, I, I love it, you know, oh, no, don't worry, I was going to go further, but let's not do that. Um, but in Greek... They've got so many words for so many things. So they've got at least four words for love, for example. And in this passage, Jesus uses the word reward twice. He says, doesn't he, they've received their reward in, in full. And in verse 6, he says, a father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. 
But both times he talks of the rewards for these two different kinds of prayer, the one to show off, one that God likes. The word reward is different both times. Let me explain. When Jesus talks of these babblers who pray for their reputation to be increased, who are praying to show off, the word reward there carries the sense of simply getting what you've worked for. It's actually a reward that can be good or bad, positive or negative. What have they worked hard for? They've worked hard for the praise of men. That's what they're aiming for. And so they've got their reward in full. You wanted the praise of people, you've got it. Well done. But you notice that Jesus doesn't say this reward comes from God. This kind of prayer doesn't, this kind of reward uh, doesn't come from God. Also notice that it's past tense. They've been rewarded. It's already happened. There's nothing more to come to them. And it's worth noting, isn't it, that the praise of other human beings, whether it be through popularity or fame or Instagram followers or Twitter followers, is ultimately temporary, is ultimately a hollow reward for our life's work. Isn't it true that every single human being is doomed to be forgotten the moment they die? If 2016 has taught us nothing, it's taught us that. Because I know this because somebody mentioned a celebrity that died last year and I'd already forgotten. And I'm someone that pays attention and tries to remember people because that's what being a Christian is all about, isn't it? But we're all doomed to be forgotten. The most you can hope for is a few years after your death that people might remember what you achieved or the good that you did. If you really lived an amazing life, you might get a street named after you. But one, two generations later, they'll say, Hanson Street? What a ridiculous name. Let's change it. I'll never have a street named after me. I do realize that. But these people go for a reward that is past tense, that is temporary. And actually, the praise of other human beings is fundamentally a shallow reward for your life. If you think that true happiness comes from other people praising you, you are going to be disappointed. Actually, the Bible's message is far richer, that actually we shouldn't seek the praise of men and women, but the approval of the eternal God. And you'll notice in verse 6, when Jesus talks about going into our room, shutting the door and praying in secret, he says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 6, he will reward you. It's future, it's going to continue. God rewards our humble prayers when we seek to put him first. And that word for reward used in verse 6 carries the sense of being restored. It's about giving things that have been promised. When we pray the way God wants in humility uh, and faithfulness, The reward given to us is that God answers and obeys all of his own oaths given to us in the Bible. So what is this prayer that God likes? Well, verse 9 to 13, that Zoe read so well um, earlier on, the Lord's Prayer is a model of the kind of prayer that God just loves. It starts, doesn't it, with God first. It's it's the prayer that puts him first. It's ultimately about the growth of his kingdom, not our reputations. It's God first, his will, his glory, not my reputation. It starts, doesn't it? Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then it says, give us, not what I want, but my daily bread. Forgive me, lead me, lead us not into temptation. It starts your, then it ends me. So often our prayers are the wrong way around, aren't they? It's me and then you. But God says, that's not right. Make it me first. And that sort of prayer 
is a world-changing prayer. There was a little boy, a bright five-year-old boy called uh, Johnny. I don't know why. All all American jokes seem to have the boys called Johnny for some reason. Anyway, he told his dad that he longed for a little baby brother. And he said to his dad, I just want to have a baby brother. Can you sort it out, please? And his dad said to him, do you know what? If you pray for the next two months, God will answer your prayer and you will have a baby brother. And he said, the little boy thought to himself, oh, I'll try that. So every night... For a month, he went to his bedroom and he prayed to God and said, Lord, give me a baby brother every single night. And after about a month, he began to get a tiny bit cynical, which is sad at five years old. And he he looked around his neighborhood, all his friends, and he thought, this has never happened. No one's ever prayed. And two months later, well, hey, there's a baby. just appears out of nowhere. So he stopped after a month. The second month went by, and then his mum and dad uh, called him into their main bedroom. His mum had been in hospital. Uh, He hadn't really realized why. Not sure what to expect as he walked into the bedroom. They opened up the bed sheet to reveal a little baby brother. But not just one, two. The mum had had twins. And so Johnny's dad looked down at him and said, aren't you glad that you prayed? And Johnny hesitated a little and looked up at his dad and said, yeah, but aren't you glad I stopped when I did? (laughs) That's a very long joke, isn't it, for an obvious punchline. But when we pray, God's kingdom come. When we pray for God's will to be done, when we pray for his reputation to grow, not our reputation to grow, that's the kind of prayer that is world-changing. That's the kind of prayer that brings light into a dark world. Um, Alexander, whose second name I won't even try and pronounce, uh, wrote a book called A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. Um, And this is what he writes in his novel. Ivan endured all the horrors of a Soviet prisoner of war camp One day he is praying with his eyes closed when a fellow prisoner notices him and with ridicule says, prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. Opening his eyes, Ivan answered, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. Isn't that the kind of prayer that changes the world? Isn't that the kind of prayer God wants from his followers? Not, Lord, fix my problems. Not not even, Lord... Um, save me from where I am but the kind of prayer God wants is actually Lord I'm in this trouble what can I do to serve you in it how can you change the darkness if you're always being saved from it yourself isn't that the kind of prayer God wants a prayer that builds his kingdom forms uh, the light of his message in even the darkest places we must pray like that you see trouble comes to every single one of us there's not one person here that doesn't have a hard time in life there's not one of us that doesn't go through times where we just think I've had enough but liberty in trouble comes first and foremost when we pray Lord I'm in trouble please use me for your glory in it Jesus says in verse 6 to 8, I've read it a few times now, but he he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will will reward you. And when you pray, do do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I think that is the most wonderful phrase um, that you can come across. God knows exactly what you're going to say long before you say it but it's so wonderful that he longs for you to say it so you can have the joy of hearing it be answered what are these rewards jesus talks about is it not surely the fact that the king of kings hears sees and knows everything you're going to say 
But more than that, verses 14 to 15, we haven't really got time to pick this apart, but Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I think Jesus is simply saying that being a Christian is about forgiveness, and if you keep away from forgiveness and forgiving, then you're almost not a Christian, and you're keeping yourself over here. Uh, away from God's light but actually when we pray when we pray God's kingdom come the blessings of God are felt in our own life and then because we become more like Jesus we forgive other people and then the blessings of God are felt in theirs as well somebody once wrote if prayerless then graceless if prayerless then graceless and that was certainly true of the Pharisees they didn't pray your kingdom come God they prayed my kingdom come And they were the least graceful people on earth. That's why it doesn't matter how well you pray. I've never hate doing that, but uh, it feels appropriate. Um, But it doesn't matter how well you pray. It doesn't matter what words you use, how long it is. It doesn't matter if you stutter or spit your way through your prayer. God does not care. Because God is not interested or impressed with our long words or our short words. God is only looking at the heart. So why is this on the king's secret service, uh, this uh, topic of prayer? Because prayer is powerful. Because every single great move of God in his church or through an individual Christian always starts 100% of the time when somebody prays earnestly for God's kingdom to come. There is not a single move of God, please correct me if you think I'm wrong, there is not a single move of God through his church or an individual Christian that didn't start first with somebody seeking him in prayer and his kingdom to come. But what is tragic, and the reason this matters in January 2017, is that the Western church is in a sorry state because we have lost the belief that prayer changes things and that prayer moves God to move in power. We still say we believe it, but 10 people at a church prayer meeting suggests otherwise. Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 6, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. If we really believe that verse, there will be more than ten. Would they not? Because we would know that that's our real strength. That's our real power. Our greatest weapon against the darkness of sin in our world and in our own lives. Our strongest attack against the evil one isn't our rotors or our ministries as important as they are. It is chiefly, first, our prayer life. Hence, the month of prayer for this church in January. Somebody said this, I came across this week. Men may spurn our appeals. They may reject our message. They may oppose our arguments, despise our persons. But they are helpless against our prayers i'll read it again because it's brilliant men may spurn our appeals reject our message oppose our arguments despise our persons but they are helpless against our prayers i read another quote uh, about a particular area um in africa i didn't actually quite grasp where it was and and they wrote this um about a a group a particular area of uh, africa where people become christians and this person wrote early african converts were earnest in this particular place, and regular in their private devotions. Each one reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket where he would pour out his heart to God in prayer. 
Over time, the paths to these thickets, these areas where they prayed, would become well-worn, presumably as they went backwards and forwards every single day. The grass would be trampled down and it would make a new path. As a result, if one of these new believers began to neglect prayer, it would soon become apparent because the grass would grow back. And so they would kindly remind each other and the negligent one, saying this, Brother, the grass grows on your path. I wonder this morning how many of us in this church need to get treading down our path again. Need to get the grass trampled down. Our first, our fight uh, is against the powers of darkness and our weapon is humble God first prayer. The king seeks his people to be on their knees seeking him and then we will see his hand move in our church, in our homes, in our work, in our towns. There's a book called Piercing the Darkness. It's a novel, but it's about uh, spiritual warfare. And in this book, it talks about kind of behind the veil of reality that we see and touch, and it discusses spiritual warfare, angels and demons that might kind of be attacking and fighting around us as we're getting on with our everyday life. And in the book, whenever a moment comes when darkness seems to have a greater hold, the angels would cry out at the top of their voice to God, why aren't God's people praying? Because prayer moves God. So do you want to change the world? Go home. Seriously, go home. Not, not right now, Pat. You can wait five minutes. <laughs> go home. Do you want to make a difference? Find a room where no one else is and shut the door. Do you want to do something great? Then pray to your Father in secret. Pray for his kingdom to come. Pray for his will to be done. Forgive those that have wronged you and offer your life one more time and let him use you to change the world. Do not let the grass grow on your path. Otherwise, you will never know what it's like to serve the King of Kings truly. Do not be a breathless Christian because you haven't got time to pray. Be a living Christian whom God will use this year to change the world. Let me pray. Father God, we want to lift up, Lord, all these thoughts to you this morning. Father God, everything we say, Lord, we include all of us in it, me as well. Lord, there is not a single Christian that prays enough. Father God, there are moments when we pray more than others, but Lord, you don't call us um, to see who's better, to compare with each other. Lord, we're called to be perfect as you are perfect, to be like Christ 100%. And Lord, for those here that perhaps don't know you and don't even know what this prayer thing is that we talk about, Father God, may they know the liberty that comes from being in the presence of the King of Kings. There is nothing better than being in your presence. That is why the devil does his utmost to keep people busy, to keep people bound up by rotors, to keep them addicted to their phones, Father. Because he knows that when we spend time in the presence of the King, The king moves, the king talks, the king tramples down our grass and we change the world. Father God, may this year be the year this church has the floodgates opened. Father God, will you send in many more people? Will you send us out to change Strawbridgeworth and Harlow and Bishop Stortford and Hatfield Heath and all the other places that we come from? Father God, we love those places and we want to be Christians that make a difference. But Lord, it comes only when we pray your kingdom come first. Lord, we just lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.